Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Show. Yeah, you recognize him over there in the co-pilot seat. Uh, he ne- really needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Welcome once again to the Tim May Show. You know, you're accruing a lot of hours, a lot of flight hours in that co-pilot seat, man. One of these days, I might, might, let, might just let you land the plane. What do you think? <laughs> no, it's always good to be. Hey, we haven't talked in a while, Tim. I think it's been a couple weeks. But yeah. I saw you a couple weeks ago at Ohio State Media Availability. Spring practice is coming. As you know, this time of year for me, it's a little bit of March Madness, a little bit of college football, a little bit of NFL combine. Uh, it's actually my favorite time of year at work because I get to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah it's really funny because uh, – I've got you on. We got a little bit of everything in, in this in this show because I want to touch on several subjects with you because I consider you an expert. I don't know if that's in quotes or not. Do you prefer it to be in quotes, expert? Probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> expert with quotes, but I'll I'll take it. You know, I I love talking anything around this area, as you know. Uh, yeah. Ingrained in Central Ohio, so wherever you want to go. Yeah, well, we're even going to touch on your your uh, your uh, connection with the Deeblers to a certain extent, but. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. I've also got, ladies and gentlemen, an interview with Ryan Patton. And you're going, who's Ryan Patton? Uh, well, Ryan Patton was uh, an intern and basically wanting to wanted to get into the strength and conditioning uh, business uh, way back when, when he was at Ohio State, originally from Delphos St. John's High School. And uh, lo and behold, when the when the upheaval came in 2011 uh, with the coaching staff at Ohio State in football, he went down south and said, on almost a whim, and uh, tried out uh, for uh, being a member of the pit crew at Hendrick Motorsports. Next thing you know, he gets picked. Next thing you know, he wins a, a Daytona 500 with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he's on that pit crew. And oh, lo and behold, after a long drought, uh, he was on the pit crew for William Byron, who won the, the, the Daytona 500 here two weeks ago. So he's back in the winner's circle, Ryan Patton, one of the great guys I've ever met. I've uh, done stuff with him before, but uh, it's a pretty interesting interview about teamwork, et cetera, and having dreams. And uh, Ryan Patton's one of the one of the coolest guys I've met. So that's coming up after my conversation here with Bill Bender, my co-pilot. And uh, remember, uh, Bill, all of our conversation, once we take off, is on the voice recorder, the official voice recorder in the cockpit. You understand that, right? I, I got you. No it can, problem. It can be played and replayed. Uh But I digress, of course. Bill, I want to get your take. Number one, you were at that press conference a couple of weeks ago with Ryan Day. And uh, here's Ohio State sitting here, considered one of the top two teams in the country already. And we're not even quite into March yet. Uh, 
think that's legit though, right? Based on what's gone on for Ohio State through the month of January and early February. Well, you saw myself and some others, uh, national media. We did our way too early top 25s yeah. on January, right before Michigan played Washington. And, you know, Ohio State was probably around five or six in most of those. And then with all of the offseason ongoings from the additions in the portal to adding Chip Kelly, to promoting James Laurinaitis, I mean, you got to put them at no, number one or number two. I think players coming back and also players coming back, you know, people shouldn't shortchange that. Right. From a defense that averaged, you know, allowed like 12 points per game. And uh, yeah, it's impossible not to say Georgia, Ohio state one and two, either order. You want to go Georgia one, that's fine. You want to go Ohio state one, that's fine. I think Texas will be three, but there's no question. And in terms of a team that quote, uh, quotes won the off season right now, you got to, you would have to think it's Ohio state. Yeah, of course, the big next major step in, in the offseason is to win spring football and then see how the dominoes fall after spring football, especially in a quarterback room that's got five talented guys in it, but, you know, only one guy can play. And number two, all of these guys, the only guy who's played a lot is Will Howard, the transfer from Kansas State. So you got to figure he's he's at least, if he's not one, he's 1A, right? Uh, with Devin Brown, maybe 1B or two. But uh, just real quick, it's – it is interesting from year to year how rosters change in college football anymore, right? But uh, here you're looking at an Ohio State quarterback room that's got five guys, two of them freshmen, one of them is going to be a sophomore who played the last three quarters of the Cotton Bowl when when Devin Brown went down with the injury, and one guy who's won a Big 12 championship in Will Howard. Uh, just, just give me a nutshell assessment of what you think of that room right now. Well, you know, Will Howard came there to have a chance to start. Obviously, he was made available a couple weeks ago, answered questions, came across real impressed because... Hey, hey, he came across like a grown man, didn't he? And they're pretty funny, right? Well, mature. And here's the thing with Ohio State's quarterback position that I always talk about is, yes, they've had a lot of first-round picks at the position in recent years with Dwayne and Justin and uh, CJ. CJ, obviously, just fantastic in the NFL, but... Ohio State's last three national championship quarterbacks are in well in reverse order, right? You would go JT and Cardale. You gotta you gotta count both that year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Greg, Greg Krenzel and you know Lancaster's own Rex Kern. Yeah. You know, these aren't guys that went on to like twenty year NFL careers, but they're also guys that everybody in Columbus knows forever. You know, Craig's obviously still active. Cardale's still in the area. Let Rex is a legend in my hometown. So. um Will Howard has a chance to be that guy. Go in one year, win a national championship. What I'm interested in as far as spring ball goes, Tim, and I'm sure you are too, is okay, five guys means there's probably going to be four or three after the spring because one or two of those guys may decide to move on. I don't think it'll be Julian saying. So it's those other three where I think the interest to me is, is yeah. because of the way quarterbacks come and go. Yeah, that's the curiosity factor, number one. Number two, you know, it's funny that you just named those three quarterbacks who won the last three national championships for Ohio State, and what all four of them had in common, you know, uh, including Cardale, uh, was the ability and the willingness to run the football. And uh, Craig Krenzel, man, he he made some huge runs in that run to the national championship. Rex Kern, man, he was a dazzler with the football. And, uh, of course, uh, JT Barrett, he ran – you basically saw the Urban Meyer offense with JT Barrett at the helm, the way he would run that zone read option was also 
a quite proficient passer. And then Cardell Jones, once he got once he got rumbling, man, he was hard to bring down. He was like he was like a power back running the ball, especially against Alabama when they needed those big plays. Uh, so and it's that's what uh, Will Howard and Devin Brown bring bring to the fore. Uh, Aaron Nolan is a little bit like that, the freshman. Uh, Julian saying would rather stand there and throw the ball, but he can also run it. And of course, uh, Lincoln Keynotes can. So with with Chip Kelly coming in, who's made a lot of uh, his living on having an offense that spreads the field, but also incorporates a running quarterback. Not you run him every play, but but you got to run him some in the modern game, right? I think you agree. If you look around the country, the way things are being done, I think I think Ohio State's in pretty good stead in that regard because CJ, bless his heart until the last, really, last game of his college career, didn't really show off his wheels, except maybe his first time he played against Michigan State, that one long run. Uh, and so I think you've got to have that run threat, a legitimate run threat from that quarterback, and it looks like Ohio State's going to have that this year. Do you agree? Their offense is going to look different. And one of the – you just hit on it with Chip Kelly. There's a lot of preconceived notions about his offense because of they spread the field yeah. and because it was wide open and people will go all the way back to Oregon. But you just said it. The I think Ohio State's going to go to a more – I keep using the term 60-40 offense. I think they're going to run the ball 60% of the time. I do. I think with Will Howard and having that option, the two running backs, not just Travion, Quinshaw yeah. Dudkins is a stud absolute stud at Ole Miss. And I think it changes the dynamic of what they're going to do. And if you look at their offense for the last two years, they were a 60-40 offense, even with yeah. Justin Fields. So, and I think that's synonymous with winning in the Big Ten and then yeah. going on to the playoff and you change it up a little bit then. But I, I definitely think Chip Kelly, you look at UCLA last year, two running backs averaged five yards per carry. Yeah, He wants to run the football and spread the field. And I think that marriage will work out. Interesting, you said playoffs. You used that word playoffs in your last little uh, last couple of sentences there. The five and seven has been adopted. It's almost like the, the Declaration of Independence uh, came, you know, flowing out of the uh, the meeting of the college football playoff <clears throat> group. Um, and we all know there was an audacious power play, or at least hinted at an audacious power play by what the Big Ten and the SEC to possibly get four teams. Uh, committed to four teams, at least from their leagues, each of their leagues being invited. That was quashed, uh, but it was interesting. You know, you know, you never know what somebody's going to give you unless you ask, right? But uh, what's your take on the 5-7 setup is uh, with the power five obviously dwindling now, diminishing to the power four, 5-7 five, five, means at least guaranteed uh, one of those uh, other conferences uh, is going to get a guaranteed spot in in the playoff i'm talking about you know i don't know what you call them now the uh the lesser the lesser seven whatever you call them uh but then but then the seven after that the seven highest ranked teams the five highest ranked conference champions in the final college football playoff rankings and then the seven other uh teams are going to be wild cards so to speak do you like that setup I guess. Wait, did I, the, you get lost when I was describing that just then? No, I just I, – I was thinking about how I want to best answer this question because I would say I guess I do. I am I think we're skipping a step, Tim. I, I think yeah. eight was the right number to me. Eight, eight made sense because on any given year, I don't think there's more than five or six teams that can win it all anyway. Or, yeah. you know, you want to preserve some 
of the regular season. You mentioned the power play with the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, you know, you look at if we were doing a 12-team model the last 10 years in the in the four-team era, about 54% of the at-large bids would have gone to the SEC or the Big Ten. But you know what they want? They want more. That's yeah. why we're talking about a 14. Why they want a 14-teamer is they want the SEC champion and the Big Ten champion to be basically guaranteed that buy, and then the other 12 teams play, and they want 70% of those at-large bids, not 50%. They want yes. 70% with these large conferences. I think we're all going to have to adjust how we watch football. One of the things my uh, colleague Mike DeCourcy brought up, Tim, is take Ohio State, for example. They're a great example. They don't, they don't want to go 9-3. and three. They don't want to go 9-3 and three and get in. They want to go 11-1, and one, dominate the regular season, and take one or two swings in the playoff. Now, I look at Ohio State as I would look at Kansas in the basketball tournament. They're going to be in every year. Yeah, It's just going to be an adjustment of – if people think we're going to watch the regular season like we used to, there, I, I I think we got another thing coming there. Yeah. I think I think they're really they're really messing they're really messing around with uh, you can only mess around with tradition for so long until it totally goes away and uh, I agree a hundred percent of what you just said but then when you look at the Big Ten with eighteen teams in it now uh, coming up with Washington Oregon USC and UCLA coming coming on board but especially Oregon I mean you could make a case for Oregon and Ohio State being in the top four top three. I'm talking about preseason going going into the season, and then how's it going to play out? But then you throw in the specter, the specter of the Big Ten championship game, where you could beat a team in the regular season and then get beat by that team in the in the in the in the uh, Big Ten championship game, and neither one of y'all make the top take make the top four. And the point is, you want to make the top four, you know, and uh, that's what's going to be interesting. Uh, is how that's going to play out and whether or not we're definitely whether I really think we're going to see the end of the conference championship game eventually uh, as soon as the contract runs out with what Fox that could be interesting but uh, I really think we're going to see the end of that because man we're talking right now that uh, if you don't make the top four in the in the seedings in the college football playoff you're going to have to play in essence a play-in game into the into the quarterfinals, five is going to play five is going to play twelve, six is going to play eleven, et cetera, et cetera. Then they're going to move into the uh, the quarterfinals. Uh, the top four teams will get buys. That's not fair in college football. That that's almost fair in college basketball. But in college football, with roster limits, et cetera, teams are going to just get beat up, man. By the time you get to the championship game, it's going to be interesting to see what rosters look like. And I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I think that's going to be one of the first things when they look back on this first a year of it, of a 12-team playoff that they're going to be scratching our heads about. Well, so let's talk about the Big Ten championship game first in the playoff era. Ten years of it, I think two of the ten years, there was a situation where both teams could actually get in the playoff. It was a you winner gets in. For both teams. Yeah. You know, we've watched Michigan hammer three straight teams. We've watched Ohio State. I mean, I went to one of the Northwestern games, and there was no part of me that thought, hey, well, the Wildcats are going to win this game. I was at Michigan State, Iowa was the last one where it was truly, okay, the winner's in. 
Iowa was undefeated. Michigan State had one loss. The winners yeah. go into the Cotton Bowl and play. And even though, and we would make the argument that year, Ohio State might have been better than both of those teams. Yeah. So it, I think those are highly devalued, and the one snag will be the SEC because they're the one conference where that is so part of their identity. They're, I think they're going to cling on to that longer than we think. And then um, what was the second part I got? I was the one that went well, on there. For that well, I was just talking about how – but after that, you face this gauntlet of possibly four games. I mean, literally the Big Ten could play for a championship and both teams end up in that 5 to five to 12 uh, realm instead of the top four. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning because one would have beaten one and then he beats the – then the other beats one, beats that team in the in the in the uh, Big Ten championship game. And so, what have you, you know, what have you gained? You know, it's like uh, you're almost really, if you're gonna if you're gonna be in those uh, those first four games of the college football playoff, you're almost better off not making the Big Ten championship game. If you follow me, well, no, yeah, and, and you said it, Tim. How do we incentivize the players now? I don't know. I I, I think. I keep pointing to Malik Murphy last year, the Texas backup quarterback. He started in two games during the season that they needed them to win. And he transferred to Duke before the playoff. Yeah. You're going to, I, I had this debate with my editor last week. I said, you understand that players are probably going to opt out of these playoff games. Yeah, they are. They're absolutely. There's going to be, what if you're the, the first round receiver and your team's an 11 seed and you're a 20 point underdog. People say, well, we want them to compete. Yeah, I, that's where the revenue sharing conversation is going to come into play. Absolutely. And there's one other thing that's just stuck with me. And you were standing right across from me when we were at Indianapolis last summer. And the way that Ryan Day seamlessly just went right in where like, yeah, Michigan Ohio State game could get moved. It could. Sure. I, there's it's not within it's not out of the realm of possibility, because imagine if you're Ohio State at the end of the year. You're playing Michigan. All the emotions that go to that. Then you're playing a Big Ten championship game. And then let's say you've got a five-seed game. I mean, that's a that's a lot. And then three more games after that. Yeah. And that's six games, Tim, that – and these are college kids. I mean, they, they're going to have to incentivize them playing that. And I think Ryan Day is further ahead on that conversation than we might think – than we might want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm going to blow your mind, though. I've used this on on this on my podcast many times, or excuse me, my show many times. Ohio State and Michigan could be the top two teams in the Big Ten at the end of the year next year. This is a hypothetical because I don't really see that playing out that way. But but hypothetically, they could be the top two teams at the end of the season, ranked uh, one and three or one and two. Then they would play in the Big Ten championship game because the Big Ten championship game is going to feature the top two teams in the Big Ten, I think is based on the college football playoff rankings. So they could play in that game. Uh, so point is, they could play at the end of the year in the game, and number one could beat number two. And so then two moves to, like, number one in the country. One moves to, like, number six. And then they could play the next week, and the number six plays number one, and they that number six could beat – Number one, and now they move. All of a sudden, neither one of them is in the top four. That'd be hard to believe, but neither one of them is in the top four, right? They could play the next week. They could be. They could literally, hypothetically, be number five versus number twelve. So they could play three games in a row. <laughs> and some <laughs> people might. Yeah, some the, people the thing that's say, not going to yeah. happen is 
crazy, but go ahead. Yeah, and and then you just said it earlier about the tradition. You say the Ohio State-Michigan regular season game is the the crown jewel of the college football regular season. That's yeah. been proven the last couple years. Yes. And, and there's no – at that point, there's not really repercussions for that game other than jersey color. Yeah. Because yeah. if you play again – Let's let's play out your scenario. Ohio State beats Michigan and Columbus. They play the following week. Michigan wins. They play the next week. Ohio State wins. So, yeah, Ohio State wins two of three and wins the argument that year. But that's yeah. not how we've seen this rivalry. Look at the repercussions from this year's game. Michigan's entire program has changed with Jim Harbaugh leaving, and Ohio State responded. I keep using the Empire Strikes Back narrative with this. It's, I guess, like in this scenario, you've got to consider Ohio State, Darth yeah. Vader, and the Stormtroopers, but they have struck back and then some. Yeah, the Confederation. Why, the Confederation yeah. has come together. Go ahead. So, so, yeah, I just, I don't know how I feel about that. And the other question, I'll ask you this one. Next year we go do all these games, these quarterfinals, whatever you want to call them. What if the games are terrible? What yeah. if they're all blowouts? Yeah, I mean, what, then – you're, it's different than the NCAA Mad, March Madness first round where Duke blows out somebody in the first round. I can, I can click over to True TV, the other eight, nine game. You're stuck with that game for four hours. And yeah. it's risky. I think we're taking a risk by going to 12 teams. I still would have gone to eight. I agree 100%, number one. Number two, I think a lot of this, and don't get mad at me, Bill, but a lot of this was uh, – I think a, this furor is almost was almost made up that there had to be a uh, – a 12-team playoff or a 16-team playoff or even an 18-team playoff by uh, media, by a lot of national media guys and stuff for whatever reason. Because I don't know why they want college football to look like the NFL. The NFL is already there. But here's take this into consideration, too, about the Ohio State-Michigan game. Which game would be more important to you at the end of the year? The, the, the game or playing the next week for the Big Ten championship? Which, which game would you – would be, would you most want to maybe rest some guys to get ready for the next game? Do you follow my drift? That's where this could be mind blowing. Now, I really truly believe Michigan is in a. Uh, <laughs> this is no bulletin. Michigan is in a uh, rebuild mode. I had to talk about that a lot with Angelique Shingelis and uh, John Arbesnik, a former Michigan player from way back in the seventies, last week on my show. But uh, so it could be a while before we talk about Michigan in that realm. But it's just. It's just messing with, just messing with stuff, you know, that you don't necessarily need need to mess with because college football was in a pretty good place already. I want to ask you this though: uh, Do you see this sooner rather than later moving to a sixteen team playoff? What is your just just from what you picked up on, what you've reported, what you've learned about the desire for it to be even larger? I think they'll go to fourteen at some point because 14? of what I'm. I think that'll be the number because they'll try to emulate the NFL, which does 14, and they'll give the carrot of it will be you get a bye. The first, the two champions will get a bye. The other just flaw in this Death Star, while I'm just throwing out Star Wars analogies. Yeah, you are. If you are a Ohio State season ticket holder and they get a one through four seed this year, they don't get a home game, and I think that's absurd. Because Ohio State has one of the most distinctive home field advantages. I think you could say that for Penn State and Georgia. If you're a top four seed, you don't get a home game. Five 
five through eight gets a home game, one through four doesn't. I think it's absurd. I understand the Bulls' rule in all this. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, what better way to sell a season ticket package than say, all right, we're going to throw that home game on there too. Yeah. yeah. And it, it would be – I mean, I think that's <laughs> one of the – the appeal of this expanded playoff is the on-campus games because, yeah, you. I think you may have covered this game. Ohio State LSU in the shoe for a playoff game. Amazing thinking about it. But they don't it, – instead, it'll be Ohio State versus LSU at the Lucas Oil Stadium or something. You know what I mean? Or at yeah. the Rose – or at the one of the New Year's Day Six Bowls. And I just – that's weird. That's one advantage the NFL has is those conference championship games are on campus as in, in Kansas City and Green Bay and Cincinnati, places like that. Yeah. Well – you know, I think Ohio State would prefer not to be in that first round, to be honest with you. you know, I mean, I think Ohio State would prefer – I know Ryan Day talked about it. It's going to be big to try to be in those top – in the top four. It's going to be huge. The round of – if they went to 14, then only two of those teams would – two of those teams, like you said, would get a bye. So, it's almost confusing a little bit to talk about. It'll probably be – it'll probably be very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll probably be very interesting to cover. But it's going to be a grind on college football teams, the ones that make the playoffs, and of course the the ones that advance like no time ever. And uh, I think that's what they're losing sight of. And heck, if you had a first like uh, five through twelve game, and if you're Ohio State and you're playing, you know, Podunk U from from the uh, you know Podunk uh, the Podunk Conference, don't you rest some of your big time guys in that game? See if you can get by. You know what I mean? Who knows? What's Ohio State going to do with this with this uh, with this basketball situation? Do you think? Because suddenly Jake Diebler's got this group of guys believing uh, they've won two games in the way that Chris Holtman's teams had trouble doing, which is at the end of games instead of folding, they've stepped up at Michigan State this past week, the week before that against Purdue. Yeah, they got beat at Minnesota, but at least at at Michigan State they cracked that uh, stop that. Uh, uh, big long-time win, losing streak on, of true road games. Does Jake Diebler have a shot? And number two, you have a little bit of a, you have a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, some spice in this stew because you, you, your first big-time job was at Upper Sandusky right after the <laughs> Diebler brothers left, right? Right before they came, actually. Oh, right before so they I, came. I got, I got so I missed them by a year. My first job, I, I covered uh, local sports in Upper Sandusky, Ohio, up there in Wyandotte County. Uh, one of the best years of reporting at Aaron Cordy was my editor. He's still in, you know, around and upper and what a fun way to learn the business because yeah. you had to work your butt off. You were yeah. covering local high schools. So I leave to go to a job in Newark, Ohio, and in comes Jake and Keith Diebler, their, their dad and Jake and John came in. I will say this. I went up and watched some of their games that year. They won the state championship and they played the most fun style of basketball you could possibly play. Jake was yeah. the point guard. All time, like I think he leads all time Ohio assists and steals. And then John, who we remember from his Buckeye days, was just one of the best shooters and most prolific scorers I've ever seen at the high school level. So it's my way of telling you what's going on right now doesn't surprise me. When you come from a coaching family like that, when you know what it means to be a Buckeye, I know Jake played at Valpo. Um, he just got a way about him that they follow. And I mean, I know how many more wins would it take for him to get considered? I think he should be considered 
Now, the other part of this, yes, they're going to expand the search. Yes, they're going to look at guys like Lamont Paris, who checks a lot of boxes. Yeah. And uh, Chris Gent, obviously, I'm old enough to remember Chris Gent playing. And when I was a sixth grade boy at St. Mary's playing basketball, a lot of my buddies idolized Chris Gent oh, yeah. because the way he he played basketball, how we were taught to play basketball. And uh, I think those are the type of guys that, that are going to deserve to be con- considered candidates. They got to knock it out of the park here because what happened, and I think my general opinion of Ohio State basketball, Thad Mata had it mastered, right? 20-plus wins every year, made a couple national title-type runs. You know, they got in the title game. They got in the Final Four. They recruited well. Ohio State should be a 20-plus win. It doesn't have to be like the football team, but it it should be a 20-plus win program. And I think what Jake has brought has that just that little bit of pride factor. Being an Ohio guy, knows what it means. Um couldn't be happier whether he gets the job or not and, and just from my that one year in upper sandusky it's really cool to see what they're doing yeah i mean uh, let me ask you this because you know you, you coach your your kids teams y'all just had a state tournament or just finished up your big time <laughs> state stuff this week i mean i'm i'm talking about you know all kind of, you call you coach all kinds of sports but what is it that you that you could if you could put your finger on it, what have you seen from ohio state against Purdue and at Michigan State that can you you could put your finger on that Jake Diebler has made an obvious fast difference in this what 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 would you put your finger on there just that they so when you coach and I coach obviously this is not division one no but you still coach you understand what I'm saying basketball there are games when you get out there and between fourth grade girls or seventh grade boys or high school boys, whatever it is, you kind of know, man, we don't have it today right now. And then you got to take a timeout and just, Hey, this isn't good enough. Um, I think it's just the passion and the fire. They brought some fire to the team and you know, the, the late game stuff you, it is, I think coaching a basketball game, again, any level, most of the time it comes down to that final five to 10 minutes. And they've been on point in, in late in games. I mean, going to Michigan State and winning is not easy, no matter what Michigan State's no. record is. Yeah. And, and to go out and have that kind of closer gene about them. And I think Jake sees the game. When I coach, I am hardest on point guards. Jake was a point guard. Jake's probably Jake sees the game like a point guard, yeah. I'm sure. And those are the guys that I think, you know, when they coach, you're like, yeah, you probably say, probably be frustrating at times because you know he can see everything. And sometimes when you can see everything and it's not working out, you can react wrong. But, uh, man, I, I can't be more impressed, like I said. And I think that's the yeah. thing. A little bit more fire in them. They could win a couple more games. They could get to the NIT. And at that point, he might be considered a serious candidate. Now, you, you is that an emotional hire at that point? I don't know. I yeah. mean, because you really got to take a look at What's out there? Like, I know there was Sean Miller and, you know, Mick Cronin talk. Mick's not coming here. Not to Columbus. And I don't – Sean Miller, I doubt it. I, I yeah. just – that's just the my – The baggage there. The baggage right. there is obvious. You got you to gotta really explain that one. But but I think most people want to win, right? I mean, when you come right down to it, most of the fans, most of the people who have been criticizing, they want they want to they want to see the team win a lot. You know well, what I mean? So – yeah, and Jay Billis said – he struck me last week because I've been asked – he said that Ohio State's the best job in the Big Ten. From a resource standpoint, yes. Oh, yeah, it is. 
from a recruiting standpoint and where you're in a backyard. I can also tell you this from coaching junior high-ish basketball now, there are a bunch of very good basketball players coming up in Central Ohio. You've got to be able to recruit this area, and I think it's going to be awesome to see the next guy do that in a couple years. Um, yeah. And, and my kids foul those very awesome kids a lot. No, they, they play hard, but they have fun. <laughs> uh, they uh, No, I, I think you, you need that. So it is a top job. I, I was thinking about that critically, and I'm like, Indiana should be. Purdue kind of is. Michigan State is going to be a top Big Ten job even when Tom leaves because he's made that a top program. Yeah. But I think Ohio State is the, – the thing with the Big Ten, it's there. Like, Wisconsin – the Big Ten's not great this year. Other than Purdue, I just don't see any team that's like, yeah, they're going to be in the Final Four. Yeah, I agree, 100%. By the way, before we move on, uh, what do USC, UCLA – that's kind of a – obvious thing there but uh Oregon and Washington bring to the Big Ten basketball wise does it does it upgrade as a group do they upgrade the group uh it looks like with UCLA obviously with all the banners obviously you know they bring that reputation uh the other three have sort of like off and on been pretty good and stuff what what do you think what do you think about those four well, I, I don't know if you have. I've, I've had a chance to go in Poly Pavilion. It's amazing. I, mean, I have, yeah. Uh, you know, like you walk in and you're like. You know, wait a minute. Uh, you know, the first time I was in Poly Pavilion was covering the Olympics in 1984, watching the, watching the gym, covering the gymnastic stuff that happened in Poly Pavilion. Go ahead now. <laughs> Mary, Lou Mary Lou Retton, were you yeah. there for that? Look oh, at yeah. you. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, no, it just, you took the history in pretty quick. John Wooden statues out there and you're like. And you walk around that campus, and I just kept saying, "Why?" By the way, that was when Chip Kelly. It was his first spring game. I was there for that, oh, and really? I just, yeah. I just kept saying to myself, "Why would anybody not go to school here?" Yeah, I, oh, mean, I love it. I mean, the, the stairway up to nowhere. You know what I mean? And everything else is right on Sunset Boulevard. It's like right in Bel Bel Air, right next door. Go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, I think they they had. Uh, they'll be solid. They they haven't won a national championship. The Pac twelve hasn't won a national championship. No. Arizona and that was a long time ago oh. um 1998 I think yeah. uh so USC will be okay but I mean again that they're, they're there for football Washington I don't know how much they add basketball wise Oregon has had some good teams though right and they've they've fallen off a little bit but they've they put teams in the sweet 16 and final four I think what it adds is a lot of uh late tip-off times and it'll be interesting to see how they balance that. I know last March I was at uh, Columbus for the first round games. USC had a noon tip and Andy Enfield at the time was kind of like, well, we haven't really thought about that. We're, you know, we're thinking about this game. Well, they're playing Michigan state at noon. And I'm like, this is going to be your life pretty soon when you're playing a Saturday game at the Breslin center or at Minnesota. So, yeah. I mean, that travel will be something to see how everybody negotiates that. I don't know. I mean, I would have to go look and see what like, Ohio State's farthest trip now is what, Nebraska? Yeah. I think, and, and you know, I don't think that affects them much, but the, the continued travel on 19 to 22-year-olds, yeah, that's something you got to monitor. Yeah, as I like to say, once you, once you fly over Lincoln from Columbus, you're almost halfway to UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> so travel's going to be interesting, and we all know that travel can be made out to be something that's uh, – Maybe because I remember the Oregon football team coming in here in 2021 with Mario Cristobal and pulling 
basically pulling an upset in Ohio State. You remember C.J. Stroud was, what, his second or third game as a starter. And, uh, so that game started at noon, 9 a.m., uh, 9 a.m. West Coast time. So it'll be interesting. Hey, well, tell you what, let me get to this interview I did with Ryan Patton, uh, as I introduced uh, earlier in the show, with Ryan Patton, who works for Hendrick Motorsports, is the tire carrier for the number 24 for the number 24 team, the uh, William Byron car that uh, won the Daytona 500 two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Let's get to pretty interesting interview in terms of where why where Ryan Patton went from the Ohio State Strength and Conditioning Program uh, interning and kind of being on that path to now being a long timer with Hendrick Motorsports, one of the great teams in motor racing worldwide. Let's get to my conversation with Ryan Patton. Man, as promised, boy, straight from pit lane right to the Tim May show, Ryan Patton. Well, uh, you know, you and I talked once before a long time ago, but I've never had you. I don't think you on the Tim May show. Uh, welcome to the Tim May show. And by the way, what were you doing on pit lane last Sunday in, in Daytona? What was going on there, man? <laughs> well, thanks for having me, man. I know we've, we've talked before and it's always good to see you. It's an honor to be on your show, man. But uh, yeah, Monday, Monday, um, I was on the pit crew for William Byron. Monday, uh, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> Rain yeah. was still in my ears, man. Go ahead. Now. Yeah, yeah. Ours too, man. It was a wet weekend for sure. But um, uh, 2024 Daytona 500 champion. Um, I'm on, I'm the tire carrier on the pit crew, man. So it's been, uh, it was a heck of a weekend and it's been a hectic, uh, busy, but fun week here in Charlotte. Yeah, absolutely. But do you, you know, your crew turned right around and, uh, that's why I, I uh, direct message you. I wanted to get you on sooner rather than later, but, uh, y'all turned around and crewed a crew to, uh, who did y'all crew for, for Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s team, right? In the, uh, Xfinity race that followed, is that what it's still called now, Xfinity? Right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Y'all turned around an hour years. later and you're still working. What's going on there? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's obviously rain in the area all weekend in Daytona, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> they we were able to race the qualifying race on Thursday. Um, unfortunately, in that race, we had an opportunity to win it, but um, we got wrecked and it actually totaled our race car, our primary car. So, our road crew guys and mechanics, they worked their guts out um, late Thursday night, all day Friday to get that car on track for about 30 minutes of practice time um, Friday. And then Saturday was complete washout. That was the day the Xfinity race was supposed to have run. Um, we at Hendrick Motorsports, we supply the pit crews to Dale Jr.'s Xfinity team, which is Junior Motorsports, obviously. Um, and Dale being a former Hendrick driver, it all goes hand in hand. But um, we crew the Sammy Smith eight car um, in that series. And so that race got rained out on Saturday and was supposed to be pushed to Sunday. And then we show up to the racetrack Sunday and it, it was pushed to Monday. Um, Mother Nature was not cooperating well. Um, we show up to the track at 845, I think it was Monday, uh, ready to pit the Xfinity Series. We'd gone through our team meeting with the Junior Motorsports crew um, and kind of got the lay of the land. And then we got the call like, hey, that race is going to be run after the Daytona 500 with the green flag for that race starting about 9 p.m. Um, the green flag for the Daytona 500 starting at 4 p.m. So, so it was a long, uh, a long day for sure for us on, on Monday, you know, um, crewing the Daytona 500 is the Super Bowl of our sport. And that race obviously carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of pageantry. There's a lot of celebration in winning that. And so uh, victory lane, we got to enjoy it a little bit at the end of the day, but we knew we had to get to work and, and you know, fulfill our responsibilities to junior motorsports. So thankfully with a lot of help from some of our backup crews at Hendrick, they were able to kind of break down our 24 pit box um, after the race, after we've been to victory lane, did the hat dance, took our pictures 
And uh, I was sprinting from the 24 hauler uh, to the pit stall for the Xfinity race. Um, I think it was about a half a mile. And I was just sprinting to try to get there. The cars were already on track. They were rolling around to get ready to start the race. Um, fortunately, everybody at Junior Motorsports, they knew what was going on. They had set up that pit box and everything for us. Um, you know, we get there, we're still wearing our, our team 24 fire suits, our exalted fire suits, which is yeah. a different sponsor and even a different color than the fire suits that we wear uh, for the Xfinity team. And so uh, the first guy to see us there and to congratulate us was Dale Jr., which is a surreal moment. And um, well, he's like, what can we get? What can we get to help you guys out? And so um, they had things set up. We plugged in our radios. We took off our radios for the cup team and, and put those to the side. Um, we put on our radios to the junior motorsports team. And by the time we got our gun, our air guns, um, hoses, regulators, jacks, tires, everything ready to go and ready to do a pit stop, I think we're about about 20 laps into the Xfinity race. So, um, but we had so much adrenaline, man, and, and so much um, excitement. We're just trying to get everything going. Um, it hit me after the first pit stop in the Xfinity race when our driver came across the radio, um, Sammy Smith, and said, um, great stop guys. Um, you know, it's good to see you made it. And we just kind of like laugh, but we're, you know, it was such a whirlwind for, from the time we took the checkered flag with William to the time we did that first pit stop with Sammy, it was just, man, it's hard to put into words, the, the chaos, the excitement, and then trying to refocus yourself to do the job for that Xfinity race. Yeah. You went from winning the Super Bowl, being part of the team that won the Super Bowl to being part of the team that's in the, what, the USFL or something, right? I mean, you know what I mean? The development series. Yeah, yeah I would like to compare the Xfinity Series uh, to that of AAA baseball, right? Yeah. They, the Xfinity Series typically runs on Saturday, the day before uh, the Cup Series, and that's filled with, that series is filled with a bunch of drivers who are trying to work their way up to make it to the big leagues of the NASCAR Cup Series. And, and Sammy's a great kid. Um, he's got a, a ton of talent. And um, they've got a really good team over there. Like our, our crew chief on that on that Sammy Smith car is Adam Wall. Adam's a former race engineer for Kyle Larson. Um, and he's trying to find his way in the crew chiefing world. And so those two combined, we've got a great team there. I'm really looking forward to the, the Xfinity season because there's a lot of effort, um, a lot of excitement for that. And uh, we've got a hungry team over there. And then obviously Sunday, um, you know, working at Hendrick Motorsports, you know, the expectation, much like Ohio State football, is to win, you know, and and to dominate in anything less than winning is, um, you know, we got to go back. We got to go back to work and figure out why that happened. So, um, yeah, we uh, we didn't have much of a chance to enjoy it. But uh, William is getting uh, getting everybody on the team together tonight. So we're going to have a night out in Charlotte. We're going to start together as a team, um, have, have some dinner, maybe a few adult beverages, and then we'll see where the night takes us from there. I got you. Hey, is William old enough to drink adult beverages yet? You know, I'm, you know, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I remember when I interviewed him, he came here to Columbus. They were, he was right, driving the Xfinity series many several years ago and uh, talked to him at uh, basically Cap City Grill or whatever it's called. And uh, um, uh, I just remembered he was sitting there and he, I think he was 18 or 19 then, but he looked like he was 14 or 15. Now, I need, I see now he's growing facial hair, right. To uh, kind of look the part, but uh, man, what a great, what a great young man. Number one, no, number two, talk about stepping into shoes, the number 24 car. Right. And then number three, he's a hell of a driver. And uh, if they could show, by the way, I like the way how all you Hendrick cars sandbagged all through Monday until, uh, <laughs> until it really mattered. And suddenly there's what seven Chevys in the top 10 there when it really, when the really, when the race came to the four, of course y'all were helped by a couple of big, big ones, but, uh, but yeah, William Byron, I mean, just tell us a little bit about him and, and what he's all, you know, just uh, what makes him special, I guess. 
Yeah, so for those that don't know, William is, is a Charlotte native, born and raised here, um, and his path to a racing career is unlike anybody else. Um, William started on the computer, on sim racing, and, and doing that, and and kind of was very successful in that, and that's kind of how got his parents on board of, hey, maybe let's try this out full-time and get you in a real race car, um, and so he got his start in a real car much later than, you know, there's a lot of kids nowadays they are starting their go-karting career or whatever at a very young age. I mean, yeah. Kyle Bush's son, Brexton has been driving a car and I think since he's been old enough to walk, you know? And so, but William started on a computer and um, you know, he had a lot of success, as you mentioned, coming up through the series and whether it be legends cars, which is, you know, almost like a little matchbox type car, so to speak, sure. and then worked his way up. Uh, uh, into the truck series, um, into the Xfinity series, um, won championships, won a bunch of races. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, was given the keys to the 24 car, which is driven by the iconic Jeff Gordon for a number of years. And so um, Williams, Williams path in, in the, in the cup series, you know, he, he was kind of behind, kind of, you know, behind a little bit, you know, he didn't have that instant success that maybe a guy like Chase Elliott had. Um, but man, i tell you what, he works just as hard, if not harder than anybody in the garage, you know, yeah. um, since COVID, back back if you remember the COVID year, there was no fans, there was no practice at these tracks. Drivers were showing up cold turkey and expected to go out and into race. And William spent a lot of time and still does spend a lot of time in the GM simulator and whether it be there or at his home even. And they can they can do different things with setups and he can get a lot of track time in on the sim. And so he works his guts out doing that, um, and, and he's very, very attentive to details. And so there's no stone left unturned. He watches a ton of film. Um, you mentioned his his beard and his scruff. He's he's got that going on, and that's you know he he's got a workout program that he's proud of now. So before the race, we were comparing workout notes and things of that nature. So um, you know he's really dialed in, which is awesome to see. You know I I spent the first half of my career on Jimmy Johnson's 48 team, and I saw firsthand how hard Jimmy worked you know, every day, whether it was competing in triathlons or um, different types of events, just to stress the body, stress his mind. So that way, when he got inside the race car at the end of 500 miles, you know, and other guys were tired and maybe falling out of the seat, so to speak, you know, Jimmy was at his, at his best. He had been there. He had trained for it all week, which very, very much correlated to us pit crew guys, right? Like we're, we put in the work um, each and every week, each and every day, um, to try to find tenths of seconds. So it was very cool to see Jimmy work so hard um, on his craft and in his physical um, and mental abilities. And now, you know, seeing the same sort of thing out of William, it's no surprise that William has had so much success. You know, back in last year, we had six wins, which was the most in the Cup Series. Um, we had the most stage wins, the most top tens, and we had the best pit crew. The only thing we didn't win last year was the championship. And, um, you know, that was like a, a bitter taste in our mouth the entire off season. And we talked about that and we talked about using that as fire or, or fuel to, to the fire for people who may have doubt the 2014 going into 2024 saying that that last year was a fluke. And so to, to come out Monday to win the Daytona 500, the Super Bowl of our sport is definitely, um, very sweet for us. Yeah, I was going to say, too bad it wasn't on February 24th, then it would have been 24 on 24 in 2024. Uh, yeah, crazy. yeah, for sure. It was crazy. Yeah, you know, to, to play into those numbers, to touch on that, you know, we, um, as a team, we've kind of had this little moniker that's kind of taken off now with the 24 and 24. And it's the 40th anniversary of Hendrick Motorsports. And Monday was 40 years to the day that Mr. Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports made their debut in their first ever Daytona 500. So um, we had some numbers aligned there, um, which obviously paid dividends. And then 
I'm sort of superstitious anyways. Um, my number I, personally is 22. Our 24 hauler was parked in stall 22. So, um, you know, I told my girlfriend before the race, there's a lot of good juju. There's a lot of good signs. Um, you know, we win the Daytona 500. We go pit Dale Jr.'s car. And if you if you remember, um, Dale Jr. is a two-time Daytona 500 champion. He won it um, driving the number eight car, which we had pitted. And it was the 10th anniversary of his last Daytona 500. So when we got to the, the Xfinity stall post-race and, and see Dale, I was like, maybe there's a little magic in this eight car. And I think that we were probably – we were probably three quarters of a lap away from maybe sweeping all 800 miles and, yeah. and getting it done for him too. But um, definitely a cool day. And, and like you mentioned, man, there's a lot in the numbers uh, for, for Monday and, and hopefully for the rest of the year. Yeah. You got to think about something while that guy's going out there going ring. ring. <laughs> hey, uh, Ryan, well, let's just real quick, let's refresh people. Why, why do, why am I talking to Ryan Patton? Who cares? I mean, by that, who cares? I mean, uh, this guy's a pit crew member on the uh, uh, Daytona 500 winning car. That's, that's special. But as you all know, and I well know, you were, you aspired to be something totally different. I think to a certain extent uh, when you were going to Ohio state and you were working with uh, what Eric Lichter in the, uh, in the, in the strength and conditioning program at Ohio state, when all hell broke loose in uh, 2000, late 2010, 2011, uh, give people just a refresher on what you were doing at Ohio state and how you ended up where you are now. That's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I, I did my undergraduate degree um, at Ohio State um, and then went to the, the sports management master's program. And uh, as you mentioned, I was a graduate assistant with the football team. So it's what started out as an internship blossomed into into the graduate assistantship, um, as you mentioned, under coach Eric Lichter, obviously under coach Tressel. Um, and so I saw firsthand what it took to be. Uh, not only a Big Ten champion, but, you know, competing for national championships. And that was something I was accustomed to. I'm from Delphus, Ohio, right outside of Lima. I went to Delphus St. John's High School. So um, growing up, I was a ball boy for a three-peat of state championships, 57 straight wins. It's still a, an Ohio high school state record. Um, you know, I was on those teams. And, um, you know, football football there is expectations are just as high as they are at Ohio State. So, um, but fast forward to Ohio State. Coach Lichter um, actually knew the the head pit crew coach at Hendrick Motorsports um, at the time uh, through their network and, and strength and conditioning world. And so I, I came down to Charlotte just to kind of observe to see, you know, what Hendrick Motorsports does to train pit crew athletes, how that correlates to training collegiate athletes. And, you know, my goal and my passion was to to either be a strength coach or to get into the operations standpoint. Greg Gillum was the, was the director of football operations at the time. Um, Todd Alice was – was right there, Stan Jefferson, all those guys in player personnel. So I was very interested in going one of two ways, um, but definitely in the coaching realm for sure. And um, I came down to Charlotte. At that time, a lot of the NASCAR crews or NASCAR teams were looking at former athletes, bringing them in to be on the pit crew. Um, the mentality was we can take an athlete and we can teach him how to pit a race car and we can teach him the mechanics of the car, but it's much more difficult to – take a mechanic and teach him how to be an athlete, teach him how to take care of himself, teach him how to perform under pressure when the lights are on and you need a nine second pit stop, you know, at the end of the race to put your driver out first. So Hendrick wanted to hire me as a, as a strength coach, to be honest. Um, but, but the pit crew coach said, Hey man, I see something in you. Have you thought about being a pit crew athlete? And I, and I said, no, I, you know, I didn't think I could do it. Um, you know, so Hendrick, um, Hendrick has um, a tryout process to be on a, uh, what they call a developmental pit crew. And so what they do is they, they 
recruit across the country, um, different athletes, different walks of life. They bring them into Charlotte and they essentially put them through like the NFL combine drills and uh, which was beneficial to me because that was something I was helping coach Lichter and our strength staff at Ohio state do was train our guys for NFL combine training for their pro days, you know, and, and under coach Lichter, our, our guys performed very well at the combine for very well at, at pro days. So it was not a surprise when I think it was like six records that the Hendrick Picker guys had. And I broke four of them going down there and competing. So from that hundred, um, they brought 50 of us back down for like a two-day mini camp where they put the equipment in your hands, the tires, the air guns, the jacks. Um, they teach you the basics of a pit stop, but they also see how you can do the job and how how are you with teammates, how can you receive coaching. Um, from that 50, uh, they think they hired 10 of us at the time for a full-time position on the developmental pit crew. And the goal is to bring these guys in, um, try to move them up through the ranks, and be on one of the four uh, house cars at Hendrick Motorsports. So I got the call from Hendrick um, right after Coach Trussell resigned at Ohio State. I know there was going to be a little bit of uncertainty for myself personally, but I didn't think that the opportunity at Hendrick Motorsports would come along twice. And so I jumped in with both feet. I moved to Charlotte, and, and my goal was to to make it to one of the top crews. Um, and that that's what ultimately happened to be. And I was fortunate enough to, to get my career started on Jimmy Johnson's 4018. Hey, you know your first start in football, your first start in baseball, hockey, whatever. What was your first race? What was that first start in a in a NASCAR Cup race? Do you remember when and where and what happened? Yeah, um, well, my first my first race for the 48 team was the Daytona 500. You know, it's our Super Bowl. It starts the season, and um, that year was 2013, and we won the Daytona 500. Um, back up to that. <laughs> Uh, prior, prior to that, our preseason meeting, our crew chief was Chad Canals at the time. He's the, the crew chief is like the head coach of the team. Yeah. And, um, he talked to us about, we were going to win and we were going to win a lot that year. And, um, sure enough, we go to Daytona and we win the Daytona 500. And I'm thinking like, this is easy. You know, this is my, I'm early in my career. I've already won the biggest race of the year. You know, this I'm is easy. I'm going to win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to win this thing, you know, two, three, four times. And so that's what made Monday so sweet for me is that. It was 11 years since that first Daytona 500 win, and um, I'm only one of two guys on our current 24 team that has been to victory lane for the Daytona 500 before. So I really just tried to tried to soak it in. You know, um, I was I was raised um, above average NASCAR and, and IndyCar fan for that matter as well, and so I sat in those stands on the front straightaway. Um, you know, and I watched the likes of Jeff Gordon and. Jimmy Johnson and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, before I was even on a on a pit crew, and so when we were celebrating with William at the start finish line um, on the Daytona logo in the grass, I just took a moment to look into the stands and just you know think about from being on that side of the fence to here I am celebrating victory in, in the biggest race of the year, and then I turned around and they're shooting off fireworks on the back straightaway and. And really trying to soak it in, Tim, because, you know, those things yeah. are hard to come by, whether it's the Super Bowl of, of NASCAR, whether it's the national championship, you know, anything can happen to derail your your plan, um, you know, for victory. And so, you know, I was talking with some of my teammates this week and, you know, a lot of them didn't even realize there was fireworks going off. Right. We're yeah. just so yeah, caught yeah. up in the excitement of the moment and everything's kind of a blur. So I tried to slow down time as much as possible to to enjoy victory lane with my teammates and to see all of their um excitement you know we've got a we've got a really good group of guys and um those those guys deserve to win it um for sure so it was awesome to see that here's what i like about hendrick too i mean and everybody's adopted this too but i i thought hendrick went to this at least as fast if not faster than anybody was putting the athlete in the pit lane putting the athlete in the pit box i'm talking about you guys uh but number two you know 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think y'all, I think y'all videotape every every pit stop, don't you? And then go back and re and and look at it like a football game. Even in practice sessions, I think y'all do those kind of things, right? To just like you said, it sometimes you could pick up a tenth, but you sure don't want to be losing tenths and stuff and just shaving it. But I, I, let me ask you, were you a little bit surprised by how much the science of pit stops was at a, was at a certain level when you got there, but it's even increased now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah like you mentioned, we uh, we train. I'll give you a layout of our, a typical week for the pit crew. So um, since we travel Saturday and Sunday, Monday and Fridays for us are kind of like our weekend. Those are our off days. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're at the race shop. You know, we have a full-on weight room. We've got three full-time strength staff um, guys that train about 50 um, pit crew athletes. We've got a full-time um, pit crew coaching staff. We have a video staff. Um, and as you mentioned, we film um, every angle of the pit stop. So there's five guys currently that make up a pit crew, uh, the front tire changer, a rear tire changer, a jack man, a fueler, and a tire carrier, which is my position on the 2014. And each tire changer wears a wears a helmet camera. Um, the fueler wears a, a camera on his helmet. There's a video looking down on top of the pit stall over top of the race car. You know, we've got all these cameras, and whether it be at the track or at practice, and so we run those back and we look to see, like, what went right, what went wrong. Um, in the middle of the race, we're trying to fix any sort of issue, um, whether it's over the wall or behind the wall, what a lot of people don't realize is that the road crew, the mechanics that work on the race car, they assist us on the, on the cold side of the wall, as they call it. So they're taking care of the air hoses. They're catching the used tires that were taken off the call. They're giving us um, the new tires that we're about to put on the race car. So they're an integral part of our success. And our guys have a high level of buy-in. They take a lot of pride at doing that. And sometimes they want to watch film before we even want to watch film with a stop to see how they did and see how they can be better. So, you yeah. know, a shout out to those guys. But yeah, as you mentioned, man, when I first started in the sport, um, it was, a, it was old style of race cars. We call it, we had five lug nuts on the car, just like your everyday driver and pit stop times then were, you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 seconds for four tires and fuel and any adjustments to the car. And now with this, this new car that we've got, um, I think it's three years old now, We've moved to a single lug nut, much like you would see on the, the Indy car or Formula One car. And so our pit stop times have dropped drastically where, you know, if you're running a 10 second stop, you're getting beat. So our goal is somewhere about nine to nine point three seconds uh, for four tires, fuel um, and any chassis adjustment made to the race car to make it go faster. So um, there's a lot like you mentioned, a lot of data, a lot of science that goes into those tens of seconds, not only in our world, but obviously on the race car side of itself. So um, all this stuff was foreign to me, even being an above average race fan, getting into it. But um, listen, if there's any part or piece that we can make um, to make that car go faster, whatever, man, well, I live my life in tens of seconds. So yeah. um, so if we can if we if we can do something to find speed, we're going to do it. Hey, real quick. uh I don't want to belabor the point, but do y'all actually look at a replay of your stop in between stops? You understand what I'm saying? The previous yeah. stop? Yes, sir. Yeah. What, 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 if things go extremely well, then what are you looking at? Are you looking at, you know, wow, this could have been a problem? Or are you just looking at the ballet and where the ballet may be messed up a little bit? What, what are y'all looking at there? If it's if it's a really good stop, um, you know, there, there's not a whole lot to look at. You know, during the course of a race, we'll, we get that video feedback instantly. Um, there's people at the track that can review it. There's people back in Charlotte that we communicate with that, um, you know, those coaches can review it. 
Um, if it went really good, then we'll just try to replicate that thing, yeah. you know, because yeah. in, in, our, in our world, it's not the very first pit stop that has to be the best, but definitely the last one of the race is the one that counts most. So it's like that you'd like to see your pit stops be super consistent. We call them just a bunch of singles all day long. You know, we want to be the, we want to be the kicker that when called upon, you know, we, we make the field goal, we make the extra point and we run off the sideline. If, if we're getting any sort of publicity, you know, on TV or on sports center, we probably messed up. So um, if it's a good stop, we just try to see, Hey, how can we replicate that? And how did the car come into the pit stall? Um, we yeah. do a lot of work with William and even our young driver, Sammy Smith, who comes and drives the practice car to see how, how we can, you know, find every little 10th of second, um possible and so if it goes good man we just kind of like all right let's let's do it again and then um let's kind of keep it rolling so the best thing is it, if they go good nobody really wants to look at the film it, it's a quick review and we're ready for the next stop um you know we try to we just try to keep it like that all the good all the good vibes for sure yeah i was gonna say you know i, I would call y'all it's funny you brought it up because i would call y'all the special teams of racing because you're only going to really pay attention to y'all when something goes bad, super bad or something really good. Right. I mean, it's like, uh, it, uh, but, but it's so essential to, to all levels of racing F1. I'm talking about big time racing F1, IndyCar, uh, NASCAR, the, 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 a second is an eternity on a racetrack. It's a hundred yards going 200 miles an hour. Are you kidding me? You know? So it's like, uh, it's crazy what you, let me ask you this. Did you think you would love it from the get go or did you have to, but did you have to buy into loving it? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, uh, uh, the actual, what you do. Yeah. So the, you know, my time at Ohio state, it was a great experience. It was a great opportunity. And, you know, as you know, there's nothing like game day in the shoe and it's, it's very special, but I will admit that at that time though, I was still young enough where I was like, man, I kind of missed the competition side, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so being on a pit crew gave me the ability to be back in the fire. And, um, and I credit Kurt Coleman for this. Um, he and I were really good friends at Ohio state and I saw Kurt's work ethic. Um, you know, as we've talked before, uh, James Lornice was another friend of mine and uh, it's good to see him on the Ohio state staff. Cause we know that those two individuals, they, they work just as hard, if not harder than anybody out there. And um, I got to see a lot of guys firsthand, their work ethic. And so when I first moved to Charlotte, um, I'll never forget Kurt called me and he was like, Hey man, how's it going? And, like, man, this is great. You know, I moved to Charlotte and um, sorry, I missed your call. I was playing kickball and there was silence on the phone. And I was like, hello, hello. And uh, and Kurt let me know very quickly that I was there for a job and it was it was not to play kickball. And that if I got hurt playing kickball, that Hendrick Motorsports is a premier race team and they're going to find the next tire carrier. And so yeah. um, that quickly snapped me back to reality. This is that was probably within my first two weeks of being in Charlotte, and from that point forward, man, I was doing two a day workouts just like Kurt was doing back in the day, and and going back to the shop at five o'clock at night, and um, that's where I met Chad Canals for the first time. Chad would be in the weight room working out, um, you know, after office hours and stuff like that, and um, we struck up a a pretty good relationship, and that was the goal. Jimmy Johnson was the man at the time. You know, he was winning everything, and um, I told Chad, look, man, I, I came to Hendrick Motorsports because it's the best, and your team's the best, and that's the team I want to be on, and, and I worked like crazy to get to that opportunity, and um, that fire that was burning back in 2012 is still burning here in 2024, and so, um, you know, I just kind of view myself as a seasoned veteran, um, a leader, so to speak, maybe the captain. Some people joke with me about on the pit crew because I, I've had a fortunate career um, I've, I've seen and, and been a part of, you know, 30 plus wins, a um, couple championships. And, and um, I just try to keep try to keep pushing forward. You know, they say high tide raises all boats. 
And like I said, man, all those guys um, at Ohio State, I've seen firsthand how hard they work. And, you know, I think of a guy like Cam, <clears throat> excuse me, Cam Hayward. Like Cam was another guy who worked incredibly hard at Ohio State and still does. And, man, you know, kudos to him for winning the the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Well-deserved. Yeah. Cam's, a, Cam's a, a fantastic individual. Um, but I, I saw guys like that, you know, how hard they work. Um, even a guy like Brian Hartline, you know, Brian had a great career in the NFL. He's a great coach. That's no surprise. That's just, that's who he is. That's who those guys are. That's what they've done. And man, I've just tried to take little pieces uh, of all those great, great guys um, and try to uh, hone that into myself. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to get to that in just a second, but I wanted to ask you this one thing though. But the other thing is when you look over your shoulder, I, I would think there are a handful of people who think they can drive on that level. I mean, being a, be a driver <laughs> on that level, just like an IndyCar, man. If you don't think these guys are special, you're nuts. Number one, they're willing to get in a car at an IndyCar and go 230 miles an hour <laughs> and yeah. turn and turn, you know, this ain't drag racing folks. Um, no, I'm just joking. But, uh, but I would think there's a lot of people think they could be on a pit crew. And I would think there, there's a line back there somewhere, right. That, you know, whether you see it or not, you know it's there, right? Of people who would love to be in your shoes, right? Does does that also push you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, just how I got mentioned, I got my start um, yeah. coming in as part of the developmental pit crew. Um, Hendrick Motorsports brings in a team of developmental pit crew athletes um, year after year, right? And um, it's just like any other professional sports team. Um, we have four teams at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, our drivers currently are Kyle Larson, who he's going to run the double. So I know you'll see him in Indianapolis yeah. running the Indy 500. Um, Chase Elliott, most popular driver in the sport. Both those drivers are champions. Um, and Alex Bowman, who now drives the 48 car. Um, those are our three other drivers. And so there's crews on each of those teams. And then we have backup crews. And those backup crews are there for, for two reasons. One, you know, you mentioned pit road is, is dangerous. Cars are coming at you at 65 miles an hour. We're playing real life Frogger, as I like to say. Yep. Um, so if you get clipped by a car, you know, you've got to have somebody to put in. You have to have a backup so they can go pull um, from a, a backup team that's pitting on Sunday. But also they're there to push push the starters and try to take your job, you know, and that's that's the nature of the beast of sport and competition. So, um, you know, I've I've learned over the years what it takes that I need to do personally um, in order to have success. Um you know, through experience, I've also, like I mentioned just a minute ago, I've seen other guys and seen their work ethic and seen how it's played out for them at the highest level, um, you know, in the NFL. And so, um, you know, together, I think I've got a pretty good handle on how it, but, you know, couple that with my, my continued desire, you know, it, it pushes you to stay on top and you never get too high. You know, I just want to Daytona 500 on Monday, but we're at pit practice on you know, Wednesday and, and today, we're trying to find those tens of seconds because the show doesn't stop. You know, it's not like the Super Bowl of NFL where the Chiefs win and they've got months of partying and celebrating. You know, we win yeah. on Sunday. We have a race in Atlanta this week and we got to get the car ready. We got to get the car to Atlanta. Um, we got to get our pit stops or pit stop choreography dialed in, um, you know, for situationally how it may be different from Daytona to Atlanta and uh, and get ready to go because, Nobody cares that you win the Daytona 500 on Sunday or this coming Sunday. There's like, who's, who's winning the, the Atlanta 500. Yeah. Well, number one, you're exactly right. Number two, uh, truth in advertising is, uh, as people well know, I record some of these things uh, well before the week they come out, but, uh, we're, we're, uh, recording us on the Thursday, late Thursday afternoon after you won the Indy 500 and number three, let me, tell me, tell you something. Um, uh, 
Ryan, a lot more people are going to remember the winner of the Daytona 500 from this year than any other race this year, <laughs> except, yeah, for the, except for when they win the championships. <laughs> I want to make sure yeah. I want to make sure the hyperbole didn't go too far there. You know what I'm saying? But for you, yeah. every pit stop is is the Daytona 500, right? I mean, it literally it literally comes down to that. I want to ask you what what is your how much of a relationship have you developed? With Jeff Gordon, obviously, it's a 24 car. He's still involved big time, as everybody knows, with Hendrick. He was right there in victory lane and stuff. I remember interviewing him as a, like a 16 or 17-year-old. He came to Columbus Motor Speedway. I think it was his first full pavement race in an all-star sprint car. And he set the track record there in qualifying 12.37 seconds. And, of course, Columbus Motor Speedway isn't there anymore. And I think, I think he... I think that record die or one, you know, is his in perpetuity now, but uh, what a talent and what a personality and stuff. And just what does he like to be around? Yeah, for sure. It's a full circle moment for me, honestly. Um, I grew up a Dale Earnhardt senior fan and I didn't yeah. like Jeff Gordon, you know, he was, they were like, they were yeah. rivals, you know, oh, you, yeah. you're on one, one side of the fence uh, or the other. So um, my uncle Jay has been an avid Jeff Gordon fan from the jump. So he gives me a hard time from time to time that, you know, I was an Earnhardt fan and now Jeff Gordon is, is one of my bosses at Hendrick Motorsports. I'm on the 24 team, uh, his old team. So my uncle Jay definitely uh, reminds me of that and reminds me of little DuPont days, but uh, you know, Jeff's a great guy. You know, he's very, he's very hands-on. Um, he's at the shop quite regularly. Um, he loves the pit crews. Um, he comes down to pit practice. He's obviously on race day. He's in our pit stall. Um, he comes by and, and daps us up before every race, wishes us good luck. Thanks us for everything we do. Tells us to be safe. Um, so he's, He's a great dude. Um, he's definitely in tune with everything that's going on from uh, the competition standpoint to the business side of things at Hendrick Motorsports. And so, you know, he's not just the face, you know, he's boots on the ground. He's getting his hands dirty, just like everybody else. I mean, even to that point, Mr. Hendrick, you know, he was at the shop today at pit practice um, watching us and, and congratulating us. And, you know, obviously that's not something that happens, you know, every day or every week for that matter. Uh, but those guys are really dialed in. And I think that's what um, sets Hendrick Motorsports apart is that when you have people at that level who've had um, years of success, you know, Hendrick Motorsports, 302 wins, 14 championships, nine, a record tying now nine to 2500s. Um, those guys are there um, day in and day out. You know, Chad Canals, I mentioned, seven time champion crew chief for Jimmy Johnson, who just went in the Hall of Fame this past year. Um, you know, he's our competition director and he's there at the shop every day. Um, he comes down to pit practice, he checks in to make sure that. Everything is going well, runs smoothly, and we have all the tools we need to to perform on Sunday and to do our job. So, fortunately uh, for me, I've been around a long time. Um, I I know those guys very well. Um, they know my name, which is a surreal thing for me as just a a, a kid from Delphus, Ohio. You know that yeah. you know, Jeff Gordon, Rick Hendrick, these guys know my name, and so um, I do not take that for granted. I don't take that lightly, and um, you know it's just it's just an honor to work there, and I've had such a, a blessed career for sure. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer both knowing your name, you know what I mean, and uh, <laughs> I, et cetera, and whatever, and being palsy with them. But, you know, there's something else that puts them on a on a level, you know what I mean? It's an interesting time. I wanted to ask you this before we go. Uh, obviously, uh, this whole, start, whole, whole relationship between me and you started when you were at Ohio State and uh, applying your trade and who knew where you were going to go, you know, especially after the big uh, tumult of, of the winter of 2011, but uh, you stay in touch, et cetera. Where are you right now with this football team before, you know, to, you know, as I say, truth in advertising, even, even though I don't really only do a few ads on here, 
Um, you know, we were talking about just the incredible month of January that Ohio State has had, uh, both from a coaching standpoint of, for example, uh, uh, getting Chip Kelly in as the offensive coordinator, elevating James Laurinaitis, your friend, uh, to a, a line, full-time linebackers coach now, and some other changes they've made. But on the player standpoint, oh my goodness, I've never seen a January like this, both in the recruiting standpoint, the transfer portal standpoint, and the re-recruiting standpoint, which is guys returning because they're not satisfied with what their Ohio State resume says to this point. They want to go for a championship. What, as you're looking at this slightly from afar, because obviously you're big buddies with Quinn Temple, uh, one of the backbones of that Ohio State staff, support staff uh, for Ryan Day. But what, what's your take on what, what you see right now? Yeah, obviously I stay dialed into all things in Ohio State football. As you mentioned, Quinn's uh, been a friend of mine for many years. And he, I think he was a manager at the time when, you know, I was just an intern and we were both kind of finding our way. And we yeah. still stay in touch. And, you know, I give him a hard time. I see him on game day on, uh, on Saturdays behind Coach Day and stuff. And we kind of joke seeing each other on TV. But, um, you know, he's, he's a great friend. But as you mentioned, what an exciting time for Ohio State football um, the month of January with, you know, all the guys that – you know, committed to coming back and all the guys that have decided to transfer into Ohio State, right? Coach Day has obviously built something very special in the culture, um, in the environment there. So I'm down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's home for me. I'm in the heart of ACC country and SEC country. So, um, you know, there's a lot of – I've got a teammate that played football at Clemson. i got another teammate who played football at, at Wake Forest. Um, and so there's a lot of – got some neighbors who are Bama fans and Georgia fans. So – I'm definitely up against them all, but definitely excited about this upcoming season. Um, I think it's something that's going to be special. Obviously, the last couple of years, um, you know, to Ohio State fan expectations um, put a, a bad taste in our mouth. But listen, um, like you mentioned, bringing in the talent of Coach uh, Chip Kelly. I think Jim Knowles does a great job with the defense. Um, James is, a, is an outstanding individual, so I'm glad to see him get an opportunity with the linebackers. Um, you know, Brian Hartlane. What he's done as a player, what he's done as a recruiter, what he's done um, with that receiving core, um, I'm really excited to see where they go. You know, yeah. Coach Coach Tress always said that like September is for pretenders and, and November is for contenders. And uh, I know you can't win a national championship in January, but you can certainly put yourself um, a bit behind by how you train and how you prepare um, as you build into the season. And so I definitely think by the time November rolls around. Ohio State will be uh, will be there and be contenders. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for all my buddies still on staff. You know, you want to see those guys do well, and hopefully, um, you know, come come the winter time, you know, they're raising they're raising a championship trophy, and I'm raising a championship trophy as well in November. And you know, maybe me and you can book in the season with yeah. winning the Daytona 500, winning winning the NASCAR Cup Series championship. There's nothing I'd love more than than to do just that. I was out in Vegas uh, Super Bowl week with a buddy of mine. We go out there every year for the Super Bowl week, but it just so happened the Super Bowl was out there too. We didn't go to the game because I didn't have an extra seven, eight thousand dollars jingling in my pocket, uh, <laughs> and definitely not when not when I was leaving. <clears throat> but uh, but uh, the bottom line is, I, I could have done these parlays, and and I saw one for William Byron, and it was a hell of a parlay, man. Where you pick the winner of the of the of a couple other things, but you picked the winner of the day, Daytona 500 and the winner of the game, you know. And uh, I didn't pull the trigger yeah. like I did a couple of years ago with Austin Sendrick. I just knew <laughs> to win it two weeks out, you know what I mean? But I didn't do it. Yeah. I want to ask you this before we go, Ryan. What is the one attribute, one thing above all others on race day that you doing your job 
You know what I mean? And what is the most important part of it? Is it the footwork? Is it, uh, obviously you're trying not to drop the tire, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. what, what is it that you think sets you apart that keeps you in that starting lineup? I think my my ability to be a great teammate. Um, uh, Hendrick Motorsports, we've got 600 great employees. Um, and on our 24 team, it, it sounds cliche, but we really are a family. You have to think that, there's 38 race weekends throughout the year, you know, from, I, I say basically Valentine's day to Thanksgiving every weekend, but two this year, I'll be, we'll be on the road competing. So that's a lot of time um, in the airplane. It's a lot of time in rental cars. Um, and so I think that just comes down to teamwork. You know, if you're trying to run a nine second pit stop, it takes more than yourself. I can't do it myself, you know? And um, when you watch the pit stop, you know, the Jack man, myself and the front tire changer run in front of the race car as it approaches us. So I have to make sure that, you know, I drop the right front tire off um, in a certain spot so that my jackman has success to jack the race car and, and to put the tire on um, the right front. And I got to make sure that right front's out of the way of my right, of my front tire changer. So that way it's not blocking him from getting him, you know, to the lug nut. And then I have to make sure that I'm not late running to the rear of the car to put the right rear tire on. Um, and if we do that successfully, we're probably, from the time the car comes in and stops um, to the time the car drops and all right side tires are changed. We're doing that in three, three and a half seconds. And then we run to the left side and, and, and do it again. And as we run to the left side, you know, I mentioned the guys behind the wall, the road crew guys, you know, catching the used tires that we just taken off the race car, um, manipulating the air hoses. So we're not tripping and, and slipping on them. Yeah. Um, giving us the new tires to put on the left-hand side of the car. Um, the biggest attribute is, is teamwork. You know, I remember when I was at Ohio state, there was a quote that was on the wall. Every day you walked into Woody Hayes athletic center that, that, uh, that Woody said, and it was, you win with people. And that's one thing that, uh, that Mr. Hendrick, he drives home is that um, you win with people as well. And so um, we've got a lot of great people and it takes a lot of unselfishness. As you know, you, you experience yourself and you see with the, you know, all the great teams that you cover that, you know, and, and teamwork wins. It's not just one guy. You know, you mentioned the Super Bowl, like, Patrick Mahomes is an incredible player, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL and debated that he'll be the greatest of all time, but it's just not Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's got Travis Kelsey. He had a great defense. He's got a great coach and he has to be able to listen to all that, facilitate that and be a leader. So uh, for me, the number one thing is just, it's just teamwork, man. That's what, that's what makes it go. And I think that's what enabled us to win the Daytona 500. And that's what's going to carry us to winning the cup championship this year. Hey, that last stop, that last stop, will you remember it forever? Uh, I mean, obviously I asked you about the Jimmy Johnson, when you want, you know, won it way back as a rookie, but we mm-hmm. remember that last stop. What do you remember that just went totally right for you guys? You know, if you go to the end of the Daytona 500, um, there was an accident with a handful of laps to go, and we we happened to avoid that, and our car was pretty good. And um, you know, I've been <laughs> yeah. in, I've been in position to be up front and, and to have a have a shot to win and, and get wrecked, and and you know, it, it's not your day, um, and so. We were ready. We were ready for the last pit stop. Um, you know, the fast forward, there's a wreck behind us as the caution comes out and the white flag. And in NASCAR, when that happens, that can mean one of two things. That means the race is over um, and hopefully we're deemed the winners. Or that means that NASCAR goes into overtime, which means they, they do what's called a green, white checkered finish. And so um, that final caution comes out, you know, on the last lap. You know, we can't get too excited because it ended up being a photo finish between us and our teammate, Alex Bowman. And it was like it was like two inches was the difference between yeah. us winning it and, and losing it. And so you try not to 
get too exhilarated because if it's not the end of the race and it is a green white checker, well, you have to refocus and you have to be ready to do, you know, the next pit stop. So um, there was a wide range of emotion where, Hey, listen, you can't get too excited because you might have to go to work, you know? So it was kind of like a business as usual approach until um, they came across the radio and said a 24 team to the start finish line, you won the Daytona 500. And then like I mentioned, man, just absolute chaos, excitement, exhilaration and, and disbelief, you know, like, 11 years between victories, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people that work in the sport. There's a lot of pit crew guys that go their whole career and they maybe don't win one race, you know, let alone win the Daytona 500 and to, to capture that and to be part of a, a team that's won it twice is just an unbelievable feeling, man. It's been, a, it's been a great week. I've tried to enjoy every second of it. That's for sure. Yeah. I was going to say 199 laps and it comes down to that. Are you kidding me? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, hey. they're, they're hard to win, man. It's a, you mentioned tens of seconds, man, make the difference, whether oh. that's on track or on pit road. So, um, you know, two inches, that's, that could be a, a slower pit stop at any point in time in the race, or that could be one bad move on track. Absolutely. Absolutely. And boy, so much luck's involved too, man, when the big ones start spinning. Hey, absolutely, uh, Ryan Patton, thanks for joining the Tim May show, man. I, I knew this was going to be fun. Whether it's fun for anybody else, it was definitely fun for me, my man, because I love talking racing. And when you can meld it, you know, my three favorite sports I've always said were uh, football, auto racing, and boxing. Two were the guys involved wore helmets, and the one, the other one, where they should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, yeah, you know, I tell you, it's been, um, it's been, you know, being from Delphus in the Limeland area, getting a lot of support, text messages. I mean, shoot, even I had over two hundred text messages um, Monday night from sure. from friends and family and people reaching out like yourself. And I can't tell you how humbled I am um, to, to receive that type of a support. Um, you know, I'm just a small part of the team. And so um, that means a lot. I mean, obviously me and you go way back. I've had a yeah. tremendous amount of respect for you even before I knew you, you know, um, yeah. and so, yeah. so <laughs> for you to, for you to ask me to be on your show, man, is definitely an honor. Uh, something I don't take lightly. And, and I appreciate you following along. You've always been a, a great friend and a great supporter uh, of everything I've done in both at Ohio state and, in my NASCAR career as well. So like I said, man, I would love to, I'd love to talk to you again in November and we can be talking about booking the, the NASCAR season with Daytona 500 championship and a NASCAR championship. So I really appreciate you. You got it. You know that Ryan, man, you know how I've admired you, man. We've, we've texted back and forth and, uh, um, you know, I just like, I like the way you found this path, man. And uh, cause it was almost serendipity, you know, cause you're sitting there in 2011 going, where, where, where am I headed? Right. I mean, uh, because, you know, when a coaching staff gets fired, you know, it's like, or guess what happened, what, you know, what happened there at Ohio State? You never know what your future is. You're building toward one thing, and now you found paradise in another. That's got to be just an incredible story, and I'm glad I was able to help you share it, my brother. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Like I said, man, Ohio State has meant so much to me personally, uh, not to mention professionally, and a lot of great friends. Um, all those 200 text messages were people from Ohio State, were people, whether it be former players or uh, former coaches that were on staff that I worked alongside. And, you know, we mentioned Coach Tressel. He, he's a guy that he still reaches out to me and, and we text from time to time. I know I'm always going to hear about him, um, you know, around the holidays. And I know I'm always yeah. going to hear about him uh, Michigan week as well. So uh, for him to follow along and stay in touch with what I do speaks volumes of the type of person he is. And, um, you know, like I said, there's still a lot of great connections there in Columbus. And, um, man, I'm just humbled that they they share in as much as I share in those guys' success, whether it be in Columbus or in the NFL, it's, it's truly humbling. Hey, let's talk again, man, of, uh, later in the season when William Byron's going for that uh, championship, okay? That works, man. I'm here for it. You got it. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Patton.
You know, it's in Ryan Patton. That's an interesting uh, situation there, Bill. Sometimes you have a dream, but then your dream gets reshaped uh, the deeper you get into life, right? And uh, I imagine there was one point in time when you probably wanted to be the world's greatest shooting guard or, or power <laughs> forward and stuff, but yeah. uh, instead you end up writing about such guys and and football players and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you know, your dreams change, but uh, I you know I'll say when I was seventeen, eighteen, I knew I thought I was going to be a broadcaster, and then you get into writing, and now podcasting has probably become just as big. I mean, you know that we write just as much as we talk, and uh, yeah. that's the interesting mix of it. Yeah. By the way, you got a great voice. You ought to be in you ought to be in broadcasting, but that's a that's a podcast for another day. Last question for you. Um, we were talking a while ago about the playoffs the five, seven model, et cetera. Uh, does, does college football have to look like the NFL to satisfy the modern fan? You know what I mean by modern fan, the newcomers, et cetera. Do, does it have to look like that? Because football was so much, I mean, the NFL got its start because of the popularity of college football. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, but do, do, is this going to be, uh, does it have to look like that for people to understand what's going on? If you follow my drift, you know, when the realignment was going on last summer, I, I wrote this story that looked at college football in 1984 versus 2024. Yeah. And I would contend that most pure college football fans would take the 1984 version. You would have the big 10 with 10 playing everybody nine games you know, and it would be no Penn State. I mean, that's a that's weird to think of a yeah. Big Ten without Penn State. Uh, great rivalries between the ten schools in it. You would have the Southwest Conference, and I I would you're down there like you oh, can yeah. tell me those Texas schools they they might take that yeah. over present day. You'd have the SEC schools, the traditional Southern schools. You'd still have the Pac-12 alive. You'd have the WAC. The WAC used to be fun. Yeah. But you wouldn't have playoff, and that was the tough part. So, I, I ACC, think, you had the ACC. Go ahead. Yeah, the ACC probably would be the weakest of the bunch. Yeah, right? of course. And then yeah. they the play basketball. League. Yeah, right. But the what I think the biggest mistake. You're you're right for starters. Yes, we're trying to appeal to a younger fan base, and the thing is, college football is a regional sport at heart. At its heart and at its soul, it's regional. Uh, you know, I text my buddies all the time. They're all Buckeye fans or Notre Dame fans. And they, I, one of them at one point, I remember he texted me last year and he said, I, why, why is Washington in the Big Ten again? And I'm yeah. like, I don't, you know, that, that, because the difference with the NFL is like the Browns care about what the Seahawks are doing as far as the playoff goes. I don't think Ohio State fans or Michigan fans or Penn State fans really care about like Washington State or yeah. Washington. Yeah. And that's going to be tough to adjust to. And I don't, I just, I, will people watch it? Yeah. Will we sell it? Yeah. They, they will, but it just won't feel the same. And that's, that's why I, I keep harping on eight, but I just don't, I think we're going too much. And there's other thing in college football that need fixed. The, the calendar needs fixed. The transfer portal, the the revenue sharing end of it, I think those issues need to be fixed before you grow your business, so to speak. Yeah, I think I think it's it's folly for the for them to get in the college football playoff and not announce sometime in the summer. By the way, 
uh, first round games, players are going to make this much. If you move on to the quarterfinals, players are going to make this much. And you move on to the semifinals, they're going to make this much. And then finally in the championship game, players are going to share in the largesse, you know. Because, you know, when you said the word appeal, that's what's interesting to me. Because I'm not sure if it's the uh, having more appeal for the younger fan uh, or if it's to appease, which you almost can spell with appeal, appeasing the networks, which want all of this. They want this inventory of big-time games that matter. They're the ones that are really pumping in the cash. And college football or college administrators can't grab it fast enough, you know? And uh, so that's why we're headed down this path. And how much is too much? I mean, how much money do you really need? Uh, because, you know, what's funny? The more colleges, figure, more colleges make off of all of these things, the more it seems they... The more the more they seem to spend, and so it's a never-ending crescendo. But the players definitely have to figure into it from an official standpoint, as opposed to the unofficial standpoint, which is the NIL realm of things. Uh, you know that that's what's coming to a head here in the next in the next uh, six months to uh, five years is players being uh, probably signing contracts and being guaranteed certain amounts of money to play for dear old you. That's right. my take. And it, yeah. And it's, it's stress. It's stressing schools. No, it's not going to stress Ohio state, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia. Yeah. I look at the college football landscape last or now. And I see basically within the FBS, the 144 schools, I see three divisions. Now I see the top 40, yep. 35, 40 schools. Then I see that middle-class UCLA would be a great example. Boston college. I know that, People are saying, well, these coaches are leaving to do this. Chip Kelly, leaving, he left to take an offensive coordinator job. Yeah, that's bad for UCLA. Yeah, You know, it's hard to coach at UCLA because you're on page seven of the LA Times. They still have newspapers. You're yeah. on page seven. And their NIL situation is is not good. Leslie, Boston yeah. College, same deal. You same know, Bill O'Brien's great for them. They got lucky there, yeah. honestly, because he'll yeah. do well there. But then you have the group of five. And again, I, I mention it all the time on here. I'm a Mac graduate. They it's fun to watch. It's competitive because there's parody, but it's not the same sport yeah. as what they're playing at Ohio state yeah. and Michigan and those, uh, on a hammers, week in, but... week out, on a weekend, week out basis. It's not, you know what I mean? Occasionally, Occasionally. Not, like with, for example, I mean, TCU is a long story, big time, you know, program from the Southwest conference, as you mentioned years ago and stuff, but you know, you saw them run out of game. I mean, that's what's funny is they can't grasp the idea that they are apples and at least pears, right? I mean, they, you know, up until now, Ohio U and Ohio State University were considered the same place. I mean, as far as college football was concerned, uh, of, you know, of rules, et cetera, that they live by. And there's no way they do. And that's that's what's really coming to a head, agreed? Yeah, and, you know, I love OU. And I love, yeah, there's I part, of me, part of me loves the idea that, OU could get a 12 seed or 11 seed in the playoff and go play and I'll be excited and they'll go play Tennessee or Texas or somebody like that. And yeah. I could, it'd be awesome. But the reality is what's that score going to look like when they play, it would be like a momentous upset when they did it. Whereas in college basketball, you know, they went to the sweet 16 a few years ago, played North Carolina, had a chance to win and covered those. That, games. Felt, like a, that felt like a final four game. Yeah. But I do think, we're getting closer to 
I don't want to say we're going to split in two, but I mean, just we have to recognize that this is what we're dealing with. And that's not a problem, like I said, in Columbus or for the top 30 to 40 schools that can really do this. But until we put them under contract and do those kind of things and, and, you know, put some sort of regulation slash safeguards on NIL, this is going to continue. These gaps are going to continue, not just between the Big Ten you know, take Ohio State, for example. I, I, another buddy texted me during the Minnesota game. It was two different – those schools were playing two different sports. Yeah. Ohio State versus – what was that? I don't even remember the final of the game. Yeah. But I don't know what so, you're talking about. Yeah. But Minnesota could beat them on any given year, but I can't remember the last time it happened. I think it was – Glenn Mason. A while. Remember Glenn yeah. Mason way back when? We chased I think him. John Cooper's one by him and, yeah. 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 So, anyway, you never know. Well, hey, I know people get tired of, of me talking about it and maybe you talking about it, but it's it's so much a part of the game now. It's, you know, like I, I keep coming back to Pete Thamel, what he said to me <clears throat> on this podcast way back in August, uh, well, at the college football or at the Big Ten meetings, you know, foot, major college football, and I'm paraphrasing, as he said, has never been more chaotic or whatever you want to call it off the field and never better on the field. And I agree with him, man. The football we're watching getting getting played is phenomenal in some respects, and uh, I think that's going to continue to be the pace. But wow, we're in for we're in for quite a ride here over the next two decades. Hey, Bill Bender, thanks for joining me again on the Tim May Show. I will come on anytime you ask, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. You heard him, ladies and gentlemen. You heard him, so I will tap that well as often as possible. And for a Bill Bender, this is Tim May. Uh, we'll see you next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.